This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Prime Minister, welcome to Singapore. Thank um, you. And uh, I was just wondering, this is your first trip out of New Zealand since the pandemic. Yes. And I was wondering, why, why did you choose, of all places, Singapore to visit? You could have chosen bigger country, a bigger country or a more important country. Well... Why Singapore? I think... That's, uh, as a country of just over 5 million people, that's just not the way we see the world. <laughs> okay. uh, for, uh, for us, Singapore is an incredibly important relationship. Mm-hmm. It's our fifth biggest trading partner. Uh, 20% of our uh, exports will come through Singapore. Right. 25% of our imports. Over the course of COVID-19, uh, Singapore has been one of the countries that we have called on for to reflect on their experience, to exchange ideas, for our, our officials to engage together. Uh, in the midst of the supply constraints that COVID hit all of us with, uh, it was Singapore that we worked through uh, uh, arrangements to ensure the flow of medical equipment and devices for New Zealand mm. and the ongoing flow of, of food and other imports for Singapore. Right. It was Singapore Airlines that brought in one of those early shipments of vaccines for New Zealand. Right. Um, it, it, is a, it is a very important relationship to us, so uh, why not Singapore first? Okay. okay. <laughs> well, and your, your host would be delighted to hear that. <laughs> I think uh, I, Prime Minister Lee and I have uh, had... Well, certainly from my perspective, I feel like I've had the benefit of an ongoing relationship there over the course of what has been a very troubled time for the world, and yeah. it's, it's a strong one. Yeah. Okay, now Singapore and New Zealand have this enhanced partnership yeah. agreement. Um, I just wondered, how do you hope to take this forward in the post-COVID era? Mm. Do you plan to update it, do you add, add new elements yes. perhaps? Well, I think you've seen that we have uh, a very open mind on reflecting in the arrangement those challenges that our countries face and have a shared interest. And so uh, what more important pillar to add than one that acknowledges issues of climate change and sustainability, particularly in a COVID recovery uh, phase? Because certainly in New Zealand's perspective, we cannot return to the status quo. Uh, and this is our opportunity in this recovery phase to boost our climate uh, response and our transition to a low emissions economy. Mm. Now, these are areas in which New Zealand and Singapore have a great number of uh, areas where it is in our mutual interest to cooperate. And so within that new additional pillar that we've added, uh, we have some very specific agreements and arrangements. And just to name a few, they include uh, around food, they include... Um, uh, aviation, they include shipping, uh, amongst others. And there we're seeking to establish the sharing of information, uh, the sharing of potential innovations on new technology, green hydrogen, for instance, and setting the foundations for a very pr- practical approach to the areas that are the biggest challenges for us. We are small nations that rely on trade and the movement of people, so it makes sense for us to cooperate in areas of technology and innovation. Uh, and uh, a more sustainable approach to those those issues. Right, right. As you mentioned that we're both small countries, so as small countries, uh, how can we work together um, to make a positive difference, not only to each other, but to the region? You know, I think as... I've seen... I've seen on 
a number of occasions where it's absolutely true that your size doesn't necessarily reflect the impact that you can have when that impact uh, calls for innovation. Mm. And in fact, sometimes the smallest nations, because of our need to be resilient and resourceful, uh, will often be those who can be the most innovative. And often our size enables us to be agile, to more quickly shift to a changing environment, to overcome what sometimes can be bureaucracies and issues of regulation, to adapt quickly. And so this is where, uh, uh, you know, I think both countries have something to offer. For New Zealand, if I think about our challenges in the climate space, um, they, uh, because some of the low-hanging fruit we have already addressed, uh, we have a high percentage of our electricity that's already be, already originates from renewable sources. And that's the area we've seen a lot of transition from other countries. And given that we've already moved on that and we've got you know the smaller percentage to uh, to try and address, the next issue for us is agricultural emissions or the emissions that come from food production. Mm. Uh, and then, uh, uh, of course, from there, things like transport. Uh, now, I was just talking to one of my counterparts here about... How do we reach the goal of having greater uh, EV uptake? Mm. Uh, now, that'll be a combination for countries around uh, uh, electric vehicles, but also hydrogen options. Now, New Zealand can be a producer of green hydrogen. In fact, we already are. But okay. if we aim to build up our capability and the scope of uh, that market, we'll have the potential to export into other markets, say perhaps Singapore, that may have needs. So that's where... This should not be an area, less an area of competition mm. and more an area of collaboration. Uh, meeting together where, uh, in some cases, we might have the resource, but maybe Singapore has the innovation or vice versa, mm. and collaborating to, to help, help solve some of the problems that we all face. Right. Um, so, I think I may have forgotten the question. <laughs> no, it's just how, how you can work together. Ah, so yes. Yeah. These, these, are, these are ways. But yeah. you can see in the pillar the really explicit areas. Coastal is a really... Uh, shipping, sorry, is a really interesting area mm. for us. Uh, Singapore is, uh, you know, has uh, such expertise. Um, uh, but, for instance, in New Zealand, we're now partnering to create uh, hydrogen solutions right. uh, for low emissions uh, fuel for... Uh, our um, for our ports and for shipping, and so how do we bring these solutions together? Right. Yeah. Okay, uh, Prime Minister, just to reflect a little bit on the last two years, mm. how has COVID impacted New Zealand? What has changed, and how has it affected your policy priorities mm. going forward? Start at the end of your question. Uh, I think when government. Um, uh, Politics is all about what you're able to achieve in spite of what is thrown at you day to day. And uh, like the rest of the world, New Zealand has confronted a, a, a pan pandemic that whilst potentially predicted, uh, doesn't necessarily um, feature into your expectations when you come into office. Right. And so for us it's been how do we make sure that we address the well-being of our people and our economy whilst still not neglecting the challenges that already existed for New Zealand. For us, those challenges included 
climate change. Mm. They included inequality and child poverty. They included our housing shortages and housing crisis. We've been a big believer, though, in the idea of double duty. So our COVID recovery meant making sure we had an eye to what many anticipated would be significant job loss as a result of the significant economic shock that we would experience. And trying to uh, uh, ensure that our response to that gave us the opportunity to then resolve some of the crises or issues we already had. So, for instance, if we have large-scale job loss, let's invest in making apprenticeships more accessible so that we have a skills training opportunity for those who may be out of work, which can then support our uh, housing crisis and our skill shortage. Uh, Equally, we've tried to take a a similar uh, approach when 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 it's come to supporting those who would be hardest hit by COVID, to use that as an opportunity to resolve some of our existing inequalities. So, for instance, we created a food and schools program because not only uh, did that create jobs, thousands of them, Mm -hmm. often for those who were hardest hit by COVID because they were uh, often in part-time work um, or often women, uh, it created jobs, but it also helped us address child poverty issues. So we constantly looked for these kinds of solutions that allowed us to do both in response, double duty and not neglecting the, the issues we already had as a nation. Right. The same now goes for our longer-term recovery and the issue of climate change. How has COVID changed us? It was a reminder, I think, to the world of how mutually reliant we are on one another as people. Mm. And so our immediate response, I think, was an acknowledgement that we, um, we are nothing without each other and none of us could have addressed COVID on our own. It required a collective response. If you're going to ask your citizens to protect one another from uh, the ravages of a virus we had no protection for, it required us all to act or the response fell apart. So it was a chance to show uh, our mutual care for one another and that caused a huge sense of community. Mm. Now, that is hard to maintain consistently for two years when people become fatigued, Mm. um, when they've experienced hardship. And so the work, I think, uh, now is to continue that sense of community of response when people are tired. Mm. I think the whole world feels that, though. Yeah, yeah. It's been very, very disruptive here. It has, yeah. Do you think people are fatigued in Singapore? Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. We are so relieved that we can now have ten people. Yes. Ten yes. people together at yes. one time. Yes. Yeah. So it wasn't like this. I mean, we've been two years without that. And we've been working from home. People yes. have problems working from home. Yeah. Children at home. Yes. So I think it's easy. Uh, New Zealand has had... I think from the outside... Looking into New Zealand, people have perhaps assumed that some of the measures we had were for long periods of time when actually they're relative to other countries something short. Mm. Elimination allowed us to have the vast majority of our time uh, in relative normality. Yeah. Um, and we did. Yeah. Uh, and you can see that in our, uh, uh, in our economic indicators. Mm. Um, but when we had disruption, it was real disruption and very hard and unsettling for people. Yeah. But now uh, we use masks, and that's the major requirement now. Okay. Very good. Um, just to come back to the present, um, you recently said that the world has changed a lot in the last two months. Mm. So, which of the changes 
are particularly relevant to New Zealand? All of them. All of them. <laughs> I say that as a from if you take the perspective of a, a small island nation that is reliant on an on a rules based order and adherence to a rules based order, then uh, there's been all manner of events in the past several months that have demonstrated how unsettling it is for the world, but any nation who belong, believes in a rules-based order. So uh, the invasion of Ukraine is a direct affront to those um, values. Yeah. And so even though we are at the other side of the world, it matters to us greatly because of what it represents. Yeah. And uh, there's also China's security arrangements mm. with the Solomon Islands, which you've also spoken about. Yes, here you can see um, what has been an issue for some time, the uh, increasingly contested uh, Pacific that we are a part of, and we consider ourselves a Pacific, um, a Pacific nation in the truest sense. Yeah. Now, our perspective is uh, that as uh, Pacific neighbours, uh, we have openly, through the Pacific Island Forum, talked about maintaining a security dialogue with one another. And that's what we've encouraged the Solomons to, to, to be a part of and to en engage in. We have the resource and capability to support one another within the region. Uh, and so our concern has been that given we have the ability and capability to do that for one another within the region, uh, the agreement, our concern is that it may represent the militarisation of the region uh, and that butts up against uh, a, a number of the values we have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in this connection, New Zealand is so far not part of any strategic alliance such as AUKUS or even Quad. Uh, have recent events sort of prompted your government to sort of rethink your, your approach to these or any other alliances? Yeah, uh, we have a number of, uh, uh, of course, existing relationships, uh, some historic, um, obviously membership of Five Eyes and others. You know, for us, the lens in which we will always view uh, view these uh, these such arrangements is so so long as. Uh, they have at their heart the priorities of the region, mm. um, uh, then, we, then we welcome engagement of that nature in our, our region. Mm -hmm. uh, so, for, for instance, we've been calling for some time for uh, the United States to take a greater interest in engagement in the economic architecture of mm -hmm. uh, the Pacific and encouraging uh, that uh, and so, again, as I say, we, we will continue to see these developments, but in our minds, as so long as they put the values and interests of the region first, then that's to be encouraged. Right. Since you mentioned the United States, the economic engagement of the region, um, do you still hope to entice the United States back into the CPTPP? Do you think it's hopeless? Yeah, there were, the operative word there is back, of course. You know, there was that, obviously, that... That engagement prior, obviously, domestic considerations um, and uh, the positioning of of those domestic issues has meant that that hasn't been a reality. Mm -hmm. um, but regardless, 
the argument still stands. Now, if it's not CPTPP, then we will seek for it to be something else. But until there is that engagement, there is a gap in the relationship in the region. And so we will keep encouraging them to fill it. Right. But they have proposed this, uh, what, Indo-Pacific? Indo-Pacific Economic Framework. Yes, that's right. Um, And so that demonstrates, I think, that response to the call for their engagement in the economic architecture of the region, even if it's not CPTPP. Uh, And so if that's the avenue for that engagement, then that's where we'll engage. Do you think it has promise? Although it doesn't seem to promise market access. (laughs) Do you think it has... uh, uh, I think it's worthy. It's worthy of engagement. It's you know. It's uh, again, if we've called for it, if we've called for that response, and um, they're heeding that call, then that's the basis of dialogue. Right. Mm. One more question on trade. You you have endorsed Taiwan's application for CPTPP. It's going through a CPTPP. It's going through, going through the, the process. process. Yeah. What is your reaction to China's application? Uh, most, of, you know, most if not all of the CPTPP signatories have continued to encourage and being open to the engagement of others. It's a, you know, it's an, an agreement that sets a high standard, uh, and so why would we not call on others to to come and demonstrate that they're willing to meet that? Uh, and so we have a formal process that will now uh, be worked through uh, for. Uh, all parties who seek to engage, and we will join alongside other signatories to engage um, in that in that process. But we've we've been one of the countries that's called for others to come and be engaged, whether it's the okay. UK or anyone else. Okay, great. Yeah. Finally, uh, Madam Prime Minister, I, I have to talk a little bit about your leadership style. Oh, this sure. Is the subject of. of Immense fascination. Oh, is it? Yeah. yeah I'm sure you know that. <laughs> and uh, you're, you're described as disarming, uh, relatable, authentic. Uh, people in New Zealand refer to you by your first name. Yes. Which is quite, quite incredible. That and it's auntie. Quite, so quite interchangeably. Unusual. Yeah. And you're, you're, of course, a social media superstar. Even <laughs> I sitting here, I, I track your Facebook Feed and I'm, ah. I'm quite amazed that you, there you are. You're, you're at home, sort of in your in, in, informal, dressed informally. You're talking about sometimes day to day things, yeah. uh, memories. I think your latest one was a memory of your oh, grandmother. Oh, yes, of my grandma. Yeah, yeah. 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 Incredible. I, I, I was just wondering is this all the part of being a leader? And, you know, experts have their own theories on <laughs> your leadership style. But I just wonder what you think are the most important leadership qualities um, that have served you and your government well? Being a human first and foremost. I, I, I think it's easy in, in a day and age where, particularly in nations where perhaps you're larger and the distance between you and... Uh, those who are in leadership may may seem vast. Mm. It's so important for us to maintain our connection, and in New Zealand, that's a very easy thing to do because our barriers aren't the same as elsewhere. And I'm forever grateful to be the leader in a nation where I can still have spontaneous conversation with people. I can still uh, meet people without barriers between us. Have a conversation in a bathroom. <laughs> or in a grocery store, 
or in people in places where people are living their lives. Do you actually go grocery shopping yourself there? Yes, yes, I do. Yeah, yes, I do. Um, uh, I people seem for some reason seem strangely fascinated that I still drive a car and okay. um, yes, and uh, that is that is I think in, you know in part because of the size, but also who we who we are. Now, for me, one of the reasons that's so important is because if we as leaders cannot maintain or feel or see what it is to walk in others' shoes, how do we demonstrate the empathy that we need to make policies that improve people's lives? And so you need that proximity to people. If you lose that, then I don't know how you find your compass. And some of the tools we have help make that job easier now. Mm. Social media is a tool for that, but it also it can enhance our connection to people but in some ways, it can also create an echo chamber away from others' views. And so there's a balance to be struck there. So uh, if, if I would share whatever the lessons that I'm trying to learn in leadership, it's constantly striking that balance, right. having that proximity, that accessibility, uh, feeling close enough to understand how people are thinking and feeling about the world, about their situation, about the things we need to change. So being open to always hearing those range of views, um, but using tools in such a way that that never narrows. Mm. We have to hear one another. Mm. Yeah. So. Okay. <laughs> that last, was probably last, more wide-ranging than you were getting. Yeah. Absolutely last one. That was my fault, though, that no, last no, no. one. Yeah. Absolutely last one. Uh, you made a case for kindness as a basis of policy. Yes. Yeah. Just elaborate a little bit on that. and. Give an example of how your government has used this uh, to good effect. Oh, in, in so much of what we of what we do. So I'd, I'd come at it from two angles. Politics in New Zealand and in many places around the world, instinctively people assume will be adversarial. And look, it should always be a place for robust debate and dialogue and um, and the ability to disagree. But there's ways to do that and while still maintaining respect mm. for one another. And this is still something that I think we all have as a, as a work on. It's demonstrating that those values we teach our kids, kindness, care, respect, that we still reflect those values in those highly contested environments. Uh, leadership so often it feels to me as if we forego some of those basic values we teach our kids. We assume mm. that kindness means weakness. Mm. That in order to be a, 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 a politician or a leader, you need to demonstrate a level of confidence and authority mm. uh, that almost it can come through perhaps as, as arrogance and lack of care. Why do we assume that uh, we cannot have... Uh, confident uh, leaders but kind leaders? Why do we assume that these are weak traits? Because if we do, we immediately alienate a whole group of people who can't see themselves in that, uh, in that way. They don't see themselves as those overly confident, assertive types of people. And yet we need diversity in leadership. So it's a way of governing, but it's also the types of outcomes we drive. So I will not single-handedly change our approach to politics, but I can at least feel content that in the way that I've undertaken politics, uh, I can feel 
I can feel proud that I'm being consistent with the kinds of things I teach my daughter and then the kinds of things I display myself. Um, in terms of what we do as a government, everything from our approach to putting people first through COVID to addressing uh, inequality, these are all about caring for one another. Uh, uh, you could call it kindness or you could just call it social justice. Um, either way, for me, it's the basis of a strong society. Fantastic. Thank, thank you so much, Prime Minister. Thank, thank you. you for making the time. Oh, it's thank been you. really nice to chat with you. Although, sorry, you had to do more listening than chat. chat no, 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 no. That's what I came for. It amazes me you bother with my Facebook. It is. It no, is. It's a, you're the only, only leader I know of. Who does this? Oh, it's, I, I insist on doing it myself, and it drives our social media team bonkers because there'll be days where if I just feel uh, like the, the world is just a bit negative and, and I won't go on there and I won't mm-hmm. post anything for days at a time or if I'm having a bit of time out. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's a bit sporadic. Right. But I'm trying to document this trip. Okay. So on my stories, mm-hmm. those are just me taking photos through this trip to just show what it's like, the job we do when we're abroad. Okay. Uh, because I think otherwise, oh, the Prime Minister's gone off on a, on a mission. It's easy to become detached from what it is we do day to day while we do this this kind of trip abroad. Okay. So you'll have to tell me what you, whether you think I'm capturing it. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so thanks much. Again. Yeah, thanks. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.